0: must be at least 18 years old. Promo code, location, and other restrictions apply. See terms of use for details. Please play responsibly. Call 800-426-2537 for help. Think you know sports? Then try to turn your sports knowledge into real money with the Sleeper app, the ultimate fantasy sports app that can turn game day into payday. With up to 100 times payout and your first deposit matched up to $500. Just download the Sleeper app and pick your favorite sports and players, like Christian McCaffrey's Rushing Yards. With more stats than any sports app, just choose two or more of your favorite players from pregame live or even across different sports pick more or less from the predicted stats and ka you could win up to 100 times your money if your pick wins with the sleeper app you can make picks anytime even after the game starts with up to 100 times payout what are you waiting for download sleeper today and unlock one of the fastest growing fantasy sports apps in the world just go to the app store download the sleeper app today and use code sports for up to 500 match on your first deposit that's promo code sports
1: to you from Nashville, Tennessee. This is the award-winning Parareality Radio. I'm Sandman and I'll be your host for the next two hours. Good evening, everyone, and thanks for tuning in on this Monday, the 4th of August, 2014. Of course, you know it's time for another episode of Parareality Radio. Tonight's show is the third and final episode of and the three-part series about the Nazi-paranormal connection. Tonight I'll be discussing the possibility that Adolf Hitler actually did survive World War II and lived out his days in peace and quiet and relative obscurity. Did he really flee to Argentina and live in a secluded mansion in the mountains? Or did he go there, become a treasure hunter, and marry a black woman? And if he didn't do either one of those things... Did he go to that secret Nazi base in the Antarctic that I told you about in the July episode? Well, I'll present the evidence and let you decide. First of all, let me tell you how you can contact me here at the show, because there are several different ways that you can go about doing it. First of all, you can send an email to sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at Parareality.com. or you can just go to my website which is of course www.parareality.com I'm also available on facebook if you've got the facebook all you got to do is just look up sandman.parareality they're on facebook I've got uh, a little over 1200 people who follow me on facebook on a regular basis so um, pretty getting pretty popular there so if you want to uh, look me up on Facebook, that's reality, and finally you can still call the studio line i do still have that up and running even though i'm doing uh, very few live shows these days most of these things are pre-recorded however i still have my studio line uh, as you can call and the area code is 615 then dial 692-1170 that number to call once again is 615-692-1170 call that number leave a message uh, Whatever, just to say hi. Let me know what you think about the show. Um, what you thought about uh, the latest episode, or maybe tell me what your favorite episode or not so favorite episode was. Um, whatever you want to, whatever you want to talk about. Maybe you've got an idea for a show. Just dial 615-692-1170 and leave me a message. Just be aware that I may play your comment back. On the show. So, by leaving that message, you are giving me permission to play your comment back on the show. Now, I may also answer the phone as well because I'm always here in the studio working on the show, and you never know if I'm going to be there or not. So, uh, you just may catch me there, and I, I may actually answer. The phone. Who knows? But those are all the different ways that you can get in touch with me, Sandman, here on Parareality Radio. All right, so we need to get right into talking about did Adolf Hitler survive World War II? History records that Nazi dictator Adolf Hitler killed himself in his Berlin bunker as Soviet troops swarmed into the German capital on April the 30th. 1945, but rumors have existed ever since that he, in fact, did not commit suicide and neither did Eva Braun. Some believe that their suicide was staged and they escaped to Argentina where they lived long and happy lives. Hitler actually had a few doppelgangers in Germany. Rumors had circulated about several doubles for Hitler. They were supposed to be uh, total lookalikes, and were trained to actually, quote-unquote, be Hitler and were supposedly going to die a martyr's death on the battlefield so that Hitler could be glorified without dying. The erratic rumors about Hitler's doubles were soon to be accepted by many as actual facts. And according to one report... The doubles were given voice and movement instruction, and they mastered Hitler's soft, conversational voice and distinctive walk. Their faces and dental work were altered, and even their spines were broken in the same place where Hitler had been injured in World War I. German efficiency apparently left nothing to chance there. But the one thing that none of these doppelgangers could ever hope to duplicate was Hitler's hypnotic, charismatic, public speaking style. His ability to sway a crowd had never been matched nor equaled, and I still think that it's just like that today. The doubles will be good for things like public appearances and parties or maybe even meetings or briefings where Hitler wasn't expected to have that much interaction with his underlings. As the Third Reich collapsed in the spring of 1945, the Russians were the first to enter Berlin and capture Adolf Hitler's bunker. Then the Soviet Union made a series of contradictory statements or outright lies concerning Hitler's death. Stalin announced to Truman during lunch in Postum on July 17th that Hitler, in fact, did not commit suicide but had probably escaped. After that, the Russians released really photographs of what they claimed to be Hitler's corpse on a dingy floor somewhere. And finally, they said that Hitler's burned remains, together with the body of his mistress, Eva Braun, were discovered on May 4th by Soviet soldiers in the garden outside the Berlin Chancellery, Chancellery Bunker. After 50 years, Russian officials said the photos of Hitler's courts were part of authentic military film footage from the Moscow Central Archive. But the Glasnost photos created more problems than they actually solved. The main question is, whose body is really in the pictures? Was it Adolf Hitler or was it his double? The truth is that it was a man named Gustav Weber. So it wasn't Hitler. The question's answered. It was not Hitler. It was Gustav Weber. It's assumed that Red Army soldiers took the photos just after they captured Berlin. And and at the time, they really did think that they had Hitler. Hitler. And if you have seen this picture, which is if if you've watched any kind of documentary about uh, World War II or Adolf Hitler or anything of that nature, you've seen this. You've seen it in, in a textbook or a paper or on TV or in a movie or something. You've seen this picture, and it does very closely resemble Adolf Hitler, but you can tell if you look close enough. If you just spend just a moment studying that, you can tell that it's really not him. Various Western sources have later reported that the dead body in the photo was Hitler's doppelganger or double, the aforementioned Gustav Weber, who was executed with a gunshot to the forehead. Now, by contrast, reports now circulate in Russia that an actor uh, by the name of Andreas Kronstadt was the impersonator who had volunteered to die in Hitler's place. This was actually the theme of the 1996 f- film, uh, conversation with the beast directed by Armin Mueller stahl Meanwhile, in Germany, some suspicion still points to a man named Julius Schreck, who was Hitler's favorite driver and, uh, party member from 1921 and he occasionally acted as hitler's double because of their close resemblance and if you could see a picture I've, I've actually seen a picture of the two of them uh standing side by side along with some other people and there is a close resemblance there um i i would not call it um a doppelganger though but there is a a, a, a very close resemblance to those two and according to some reports, um, Shrek died in a traffic accident in 1936. Another reports say that he died from an abscessed tooth. Uh, that's got to be pretty damn horrible way to die. I see people with abscessed teeth all the time in my day job, and uh, um, I can't imagine someone letting their tooth get that bad that they die from it. But anyway, that's a whole other story there. Now, to confuse matters more, Time magazine once wrote that Hitler's alleged double was a man named Heinrich uh, Bergner, who was killed in July 1944 when um, a bomb or a hand grenade exploded under Hitler's table. Um, That was back in uh, the uh, Valkyrie, the Operation Valkyrie uh, debacle. Um, other publications said that a stenographer named Berger died when uh, Colonel Kloss uh, um Schneck uh it was the name the guy's name God it's just a handful and you know how I slaughter names. The guy's name was Colonel Kloss Schneck Graf von Stauffenberg. Um that's when he planted a bomb under Hitler's chair um in uh nineteen forty four, july twentieth, nineteen forty four. Uh, the anniversary of that was just uh, a few days ago. So, uh, happy uh, Valkyrie anniversary. Whatever, yeah. Um, now, this was at his headquarters in East Prussia. Uh, some sources have oddly suggested that the burned corpse found in the Chancery Garden was that of um, SS Gruppenfuhr Hermann uh, Fegline, husband of Averbraun's sister Gretel, who was stripped of his rank for committing treason and shot outside the bunker two days before Hitler's suicide. Um, In the final days of Nazi Germany and the Third Reich, uh, Hitler just basically completely and totally lost it. Uh, He would um, uh, strip people's rank... For whatever reason whatever his whim were, were his whims were, and uh uh have them executed or kicked out of the bunker um he would uh bestow new rank on other people for whatever reasons and bestow titles and this that and the other he was just like handing out stuff and taking away stuff like crazy uh because basically he he kind of was at that point in time. Establishment historians want us to actually believe that Adolf Hitler did commit suicide in his Berlin bunker shortly after exchanging marriage vows with Eva Braun, like one day later, 24 hours later. But here are a few things that I'd like you to think about. Number one, no bullet was ever found, but... Historians want us to believe that that really doesn't matter. Number two, bloodstains. There were there were bloodstains on the sofa, and these bloodstains were reportedly of the wrong blood type. Now, when I say the sofa, he had a sofa in his private chambers where he supposedly did the deed, and um, there were no the the, the bloodstains that were on it was was of the wrong blood type, but historians want us to believe that such details don't really concern us. Number three, Hitler's entire body apparently vanished into thin air. Number four, at least somebody found two of his teeth in the garden somewhere. That's a small price to pay though. In my opinion, to be able to fool an entire world, an entire generation, right? And number five, a skull fragment originally thought to be from Hitler had its DNA tested by um, some American scientists not too long ago, and the skull fragment has turned out to be that of a female under the age of 40, That's very interesting, because all this time, the Russians had this skull fragment locked up, stored away, said it was Hitler's, and they finally let someone test it not too long ago, and uh, surprise, wrong gender, wrong age. The skull fragment was originally found outside Hitler's bunker, and it's been kept by Soviet intelligence. Soviet soldiers dug deep into the rubble of the Reich Chancellery for Hitler's corpse. They didn't find it. And this is stated in a uh, May uh, issue, May the 14th issue, uh, 1945, of Time magazine. Stalin announced to Truman during a lunch in Postum on July 17th, 1945, 78 days after Hitler's supposed death, that Hitler had escaped. And, listen to this, the FBI kept a file on Hitler long after 1945. Now, this file is well over 200 pages in length. And I have actually seen this file thanks to the Freedom of Information Act. This, This file is readily available. Now, like most files from from then back in the day um it's very hard to read because of the what was it the uh the stenotype or whatever it was that they copied things on and the typewriter and all that and it's so old but um it's a very interesting file now i'm not going to say they kept meticulous records um but they did have this file that was full of um letters, eyewitness testimony, um, FBI agent reports, uh, government reports that Hitler was still alive, or there's a possibility anyway that he could still be alive. And now now I, I will have to say, I did not read all 240 something pages of this. I think it's 245, 243, 245. Just anyway, so well over 200. I did not read every single page of this document, but I looked at every single page, skimmed over every single page. Some pages I read in their entirety, some pages I did not. But I looked at every single page of this document, and it is very, very interesting, and it's uh, available. Um, like I said, f- via the Freedom of Information Act. So, if you've got nothing else to do, and you're a World War II history buff like I am, um, maybe you want to try to get your hands on it. Who knows? Anyway, there is a British surgeon by the name of Hugh Thomas, and, uh, he is a chief spokesman for the growing opinion that not only did Adolf Hitler have a doppelganger, but also that Rudolf Hess and Heinrich Himmler had doppelgangers as well. Perhaps all of the top Reich leaders kept lookalikes as part of a master contingency plan to escape unnoticed should the need arise. Now, Dr. Thomas's doppelganger theory was finally investigated by Scotland Yard, and the final report now remains hidden from the public, and I don't know why. A hundred-year ban has been imposed on key facts concerning the so-called deaths of certain Reich leaders. Now, that sounds a little suspicious to me, and I think it should sound suspicious to you, World War II has been over for a long time now. Why should there be a 100-year ban on the deaths of some of the Reich leaders? Um, surely those guys are dead by now. Um, World War II ended in 1945. Some of those guys were born well before 1900. So if they're still alive, they're old, damn it. Well, over 100 years old. So why, Why? I mean, if, if they did live is what I'm saying. If they did survive World War II, they would surely be dead by now. And according to a 1997 report by Sean David Morton, a female Nazi intelligence officer named Magda Zeitfeld offered her services to the United States government. She worked in uh, Birchgaden and was apparently one of Germany's top intelligence agents. She had been sending the Allies information since the spring of 1944 acting as a double agent because the SS, whom she worked for, had murdered her father and brother under very mysterious circumstances. Her father just so happened to be a plastic surgeon and he had the biggest plastic surgery clinic in Berlin. He was a pioneer in the field and was well financed by the Nazis due to their, I guess, obsession with physical perfection. And he was doing a landmark business, man. He was just raking in the money hand over fist. And he pioneered and specialized in implanted facial prosthetics using at the time what was highly advanced silicates and he he would use these things to build up uh weak jaws and uh noses to fit the german uh fashion of chiseled strength and Three men, exceptionally high-level Nazi officials, were brought to her father's clinic under a veil of extreme security and secrecy in the fall of 1943. Her father and brother were required to drastically alter the appearance of each of these men. And two weeks after these guys left her family's clinic and Sufficient time had had passed to be sure that there was no need to go back for follow-up treatment. The hospital was raided and the entire staff, including both Magda's father and brother, were murdered. The entire clinic staff murdered and the clinic itself was burned to the ground files and all. So Magda knew that it was the Nazis who had done this. In fact, it was a division within the SS for whom she actually worked for. And according to the report, two of the men were Martin Bormann and Adolf Hitler. Just as Himmler to do, Adolf Hitler, it seemed, was, according to this report, going to escape from Berlin disguised as a priest. Now, that's just one of the many supposed ways that he was going to escape. And finally, there's an authentic photo of Hitler that was taken in Argentina when he was supposedly over 90 years old. And this has caused many... To say that the Allies, with the USA in front, didn't want to lose face, so they faked the whole suicide story. Even longtime director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, J. Edgar Hoover, didn't buy the story and authorized a mission to hunt down the infamous dictator in Argentina. Oops, hit my elbow on the desk. That hurt. Oh, you he probably heard it. Okay. Now, according to recently declassified FBI documents, that 240-something page um, file that I was talking to you about, the agency spoke of Hitler in the present tense and gave the the agents sent to the South American country to capture him a physical description of what he looked like. The International Business Times reports that Hitler was described by the documents as suffering asthma and ulcers and has shaved off his mustache. And in fact, that is, I remember seeing uh, the asthma and ulcers um, thing in the documents, but I don't remember seeing where they had said he would shaved off his mustache. But I mean, it would make sense if you want to try to um, go unnoticed or unrecognized, should I say. An informant for the intelligence service warned that the Fuhrer was holed up in a heavily defended compound and it would be a really dangerous thing to to try to approach it. Now, despite the theories, the overwhelming majority of historians believe Hitler killed himself with a combination of a cyanide tablet and a gunshot to the head right at the end of World War II. Several of Hitler's staff were in the bunker when he killed himself. However, none of them actually witnessed the suicide. But, in spite of the unverified claims that Hitler survived the war, several top Nazis were able to flee to South America and escape immediate prosecution for their crimes. Adolf Eichmann, One of the organizers of the Holocaust fled to Argentina and was able to elude detection until he was captured by Israeli agents in 1960, so he had a long time of freedom down there. Klaus Barbie, an SS officer wanted for torturing prisoners of war, and Joseph Mengele, the notorious angel of death of Auschwitz, were also able to escape to South America following the conclusion of the war. So, doesn't it make sense that if these top Nazi officials could escape to to Argentina, doesn't it make sense that Adolf Hitler could have as well? Well, now here comes a book by a dude named Jerome R. Corsi. And the book is called Hunting Hitler, New Scientific Evidence That Hitler Escaped Germany. Examining these declassified FBI documents and military intelligence files, Corsi makes a compelling case that U.S. investigators suspected from the beginning that Hitler had escaped. For political purposes, the evidence indicates that they were willing to go along with the cover story that in the final days of World War II, Hitler married his mistress, Eva Braun, And the two took their lives in a joint suicide ritual just before the Soviet Army, the Red Army, entered Berlin. But the truth is, as I just said, no one actually saw Hitler commit suicide. There are no photographs documenting a joint suicide of Hitler and Eva Braun. And the bodies of the two were never recovered or preserved for positive identification. Back in 2009, Nicholas Bellatoni, who is the state archaeologist for Connecticut, was allowed by the Russian Federation State Archive in Moscow to examine that skull fragment that I was telling you about earlier. Uh, This is the one that the Russians have claimed for decades that's proof that Hitler committed suicide. And, of course, as you know, Because I said it a little while ago, it was proven to be that of a female under the age of 40. So, Bellatoni made these startling findings, and that's what prompted Corsi to investigate this whole thing further. This is a quote from, from Corsi, and he says, basically what I just said, and this is, this is, this is this quote, what caused me to question Hitler's suicide was Bellatoni's DNA analysis that proved conclusively the skull fragments belonged not to Hitler, but to a 40 year old woman unrelated to Eva Braun. Now in his book, Hunting Hitler, Corsi makes the suggestion that Hitler made his way to Argentina with the help of U.S. intelligence agents that had been secretly working with the Nazis since 1943. A man by the name of Alan Dulles, who was then uh, an agent of the Office of Strategic Services, or OSS, which was the predecessor agency to the CIA, was communicating secretly with top Nazis from his office in Bern, Switzerland. And this is according to what Corsi says that he's found in his research. Now, this brings to light many troubling questions, including why were the Americans unable to obtain physical evidence of Hitler's remains after the Russians absconded with his body? Why did both Stalin and Eisenhower doubt Hitler's demise? Why did nobody in Hitler's bunker hear any shots fired? Did U.S. intelligence agents in Europe, including the OSS and Alan Dulles, who later was the head of the CIA under President Eisenhower, did these agents in Europe and the OSS aid Hitler's escape, as they did with so many other Nazis, think Operation Paperclip? And finally, Argentinian media reported Hitler arrived in the country and it continued to report his presence. So why have the findings not made it to the United States? Corsi relies on autopsy reports, interrogation transcripts, documents from Soviet archives, CIA reports, extensive research in the National Archives and Records Administration in Washington, D.C., and in College Park, Maryland, and lots of other stuff to back up his case. So, did U.S. intelligence really help Hitler get away? Corso's evidence is shockingly abundant, and his clear argument lends credence to a new theory that basically disembowels the double suicide thing. The story... That Hitler and Eva Braun committed suicide was a cover story designed by U.S. intelligence agents at the end of World War II to facilitate the escape, not only of Hitler and Eva Braun, but also of top Nazi war criminals such as Adolf Eichmann, who was, like I said, discovered in 1960 hiding in Argentina, and that's what Corsi is saying. He presents documentary evidence that Alan Dulles' wartime mission in Switzerland included helping Martin Bormann, Hitler's secretary, to funnel billions, with a B, bravo, billions of dollars of Nazi ill-gotten financial gain out of Germany and invest in the U.S. and Argentinian stock markets to provide a financial cushion to survive hiding after the war. In the National Archives at College Park, there's a clipping from the U.S. military newspaper, The Stars and Stripes, that was published on the 8th of October, 1945, and it reports a shocking statement made by General Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was then the Supreme Commander of the Allied forces. Let me get you something right here. The short piece read, and I quote, There is reason to believe that Hitler may still be alive, according to a remark made by General Eisenhower to Dutch newspapermen. The General's statement reversed his previous opinion that Hitler was dead. I would like to ask... Why Eisenhower's shocking claim has gone so largely unreported in U.S. newspapers and history books even until this very day? Was Hitler on that U-530 submarine that I talked about on the secret Nazi Antarctic base episode? Tracing Hitler's escape route by using evidence from the National Archives... It appears that he got to Argentina in a German submarine, the U-530. That was the one that mysteriously surfaced outside the harbor at Mar del Plata under the command of Otto Wormuth and his executive officer Carl Felix Schuler, after having spent weeks making uh, surreptitious drops of passengers along Argentina's Atlantic shore, possibly... Maybe even going all the way to that secret Antarctic base. Hmm? Hidden away in the National Archives is a U.S. Naval Intelligence report written July the 18th, 1945, by the Naval Attaché in Buenos Aires, who notified Washington there was reason to believe U-530 had landed Adolf Hitler and Eva Braun, in the south of Argentina before the submarine journeyed on to surrender at Mar del Plata. There are also Argentine newspaper reports of Hitler and Braun being welcomed by wealthy Nazi sympathizers among Argentina's large German community. The Germans there had constructed a mansion hidden away in the dense mountain forests of Barloche to, uh, excuse me, Bariloche, to provide the Nazi Fuhrer with comfort and security in his elder years, according to some reports. Get this now. In 1943, an architect named Alejandro Bustillo, at the request of German supporters of Hitler, then living in Argentina, Designed and constructed an elaborate resort residence for Hitler and Eva Braun called Residencia Inalco, located in a remote area between San Carlos de uh, Bariloche Villa la Argentura, bordering the um, the, nah, the uh, Halpi Lake outside the city of Bariloche in the province of Rio Negro, Argentina. Boy, that was a mouthful of stuff to say, wasn't it? In southern Argentina, in the region of the Andes adjoining Chile, or Chile, however you want to pronounce it, the surroundings and the Hitler residence were selected and designed to have a distinct feel of Hitler's beloved uh, um, retreat uh, that he had in the Bavarian Alps. Hitler moved into that residence in June of 1947. In one FBI document from Los Angeles, it's revealed that the agency was well aware of a mysterious submarine making its way up the Argentinian coast, dropping off high-level Nazi officials. What's even more astonishing is the fact that the FBI knew he was in fact he being Hitler, living in Argentina. In a Los Angeles letter to the Bureau in August of 1945, an unidentified informant agreed to exchange information for political asylum. And what he told agents was absolutely stunning. The informant not only knew Hitler was in Argentina, but he was also one of the unconfirmed four men who had met the German submarine U-530. Apparently, not one but two submarines had landed on the Argentinian coast, and Hitler, along with Eva Braun, was on board the second one. The Argentinian government not only welcomed the former German dictator, but also aided in his hiding the informant went on to not only give detailed directions to the villages that Hitler and his party passed through, but also credible physical details concerning Hitler. Now, while for obvious reasons the informants never named in these FBI papers, he was credible enough to be believed by at least a handful of agents. It's astonishing that... This was kept from basically the whole entire world, but then again, if you're a big um, conspiracy theorist, especially a governmental conspiracy theorist, you wouldn't find this um, surprising at all. So apparently the FBI tried to hide Hitler's whereabouts. Even with this detailed physical description And directions, basically, to where he was hiding out at, the FBI still didn't follow up on these leads. Even with... Oh, there's my creepy clock. Can you hear it? Yep, I can hear it. Even with evidence placing the German sub U-530 on the Argentinian coast shortly before finally um, um, surrendering and... Plenty of eyewitness accounts of uh, a German official being dropped off. No one investigated. Along with the FBI documents detailing an eyewitness account of Hitler's whereabouts in Argentina, uh, more evidence is coming to light with help to prove that Adolf Hitler and Eva Braun did not die in that bunker. In 1945, the naval attache in Buenos Aires informed Washington there was a high probability that Hitler and Eva Braun had just arrived in Argentina. This coincides with the aforementioned sightings of the submarine U-530. Added proof comes in in the form of newspaper articles detailing the construction of a Bavarian-styled mansion in the foothills of the Andes Mountain. And further proof comes in the form of architect Alejandro Bustillo, who wrote about his design and construction of Hitler's new home, which was financed by earlier wealthy German immigrants. And you have these this unnamed informant who gives a di- basically directions to the where he's hiding or Hitler's hiding out at and descriptions and says, I was there when the submarine surfaced. I was one of the greeters. I mean, you have all of this. But perhaps the most damning evidence that Hitler did survive the fall of Germany lies in Russia. With the Soviet occupation of Germany, Hitler's supposed remains were quickly hidden and sent off to Russia, never to be seen again. Well, that is until 2009, when the Connecticut State archaeologist, Nicholas Bellatoni, was allowed to perform those DNA testings on that skull fragment. And, of course, as I've already said, what he discovered set off a reaction through the intelligence and scholarly communities not only did the DNA not match any recorded samples thought to be Hitler's, they didn't even match Ava Braun's f- familiar uh, DNA either. So the question is, what did the Soviets discover in the bunker and where did Hitler go? Even former general and president Dwight D. Eisenhower wrote to Washington about this concern and It wasn't only General Eisenhower who was concerned over over Hitler's complete disappearance. Stalin also expressed his concern. Stalin was absolutely uh, just obsessed with capturing Adolf Hitler. Because if, if, once again, for you World War II buffs such as myself, if you know anything about World War II, Stalin and Hitler actually started off being allies... And then Hitler turned on him. And that's probably why Stalin was so um, doggedly obsessed with capturing Hitler. And, of course, remember, um, the Stars and Stripes newspaper in 1945 quoted Eisenhower as believing that there was a real possibility that Hitler was living safely and comfortably in Argentina. So, apparently Stalin suspected it. Don't know why Russia never did anything about it. Eisenhower suspected it. We don't know why nothing was ever followed up on there either. And, as if all of this wasn't enough, there's yet another theory that Hitler fled the ruins of the Third Reich and lived with a black woman in Brazil hunting for buried treasure. Now, this one, you know, you can say that this whole subject matter is kind of far fetched, but this one is really far fetched. It's really out there as well, but it's still um, a possibility. Um, according to a postgraduate student named Simone Rene Guerrero, Uh, excuse me, Simona Rene Guerrero-Diaz. The Fuhrer actually died in South America at age 95 in 1984. She wrote a book about it called Hitler in Brazil, His Life and Death. And in her book, she claims that Hitler fled from Europe to Argentina and then to Paraguay, and finally to the Brazilian state of Mato Grosso, where he lived as Adolf Lipzig, known locally as the Old German. Guerrero-Diaz claims that she became aware of Hitler's true fate when she drew a Hitler mustache on a photograph of an aging Lipzig, who was from her native village. Supposedly, in order to conceal his identity as a racist ideologue convinced of Aryan superiority, he lived with a black woman named... (laughs) Uh, I laugh every time I see this. He lived with a black woman whose name was Katinga. I'm sorry. Speaking. <laughs> it just cracks me up every time. Every time I see that name. <coughs> he, <laughs> so he supposedly lived with a black woman. Named Katinga. <clears throat> now. <clears throat> from the small town where he was living. It was called Nasa Sonora. Do Livramento which was 30 miles from the state capital, um, Hitler launched expeditions to recovered, buried Jesuit Trevor treasure armed with uh, maps that was supposedly provided to him by the Vatican. And that is one of the claims of Guerrero Diaz. Now you see why this is just kind of so way far out there. But it's one of these things that have come out recently and and is kind of, you know, among the the, uh, Hitler conspiracy people kind of made the way around. Um, I'm not buying into this theory, but hey, it's a theory, right? Not my theory, but it is a theory. And this lady... Guerrero DS now intends to prove that Leipzig was Hitler using DNA samples from a relative of the dictator living in Israel. For years conspiracy theorists have alleged that Hitler followed uh, architect of the Holocaust Adolf Eichmann and Josef Mengele, Auschwitz's angel of death, and fled Europe for Latin America. So This is a very viable um, theory that he actually lived down there and um, kind of ingratiated himself into some sort of a small village and changed his name. However, living with a black woman named Katinga and (laughs) hunting for treasure with maps supplied by the Vatican, that's... That's the one that I'm having a little bit hard time swallowing. Um, So, uh, anyway, if you guys are hearing dogs barking, there, somewhere outside the studio, there's a pack of dogs. There are some um, some woods about probably a block away. From the studio, and apparently, dogs run through there quite frequently because I'm always hearing dogs barking off in that direction. and And I'm on a second floor. My the the Periotti Radio Studios is on the second floor of a building, and um, it's amazing how I can hear all these dogs barking. So I I apologize if that's coming through. On the mic, you know what a sensitive microphone that I'm using is, um, seems like you can hear every time the chair squeaks or, or every time I freaking move. But, um, so if you're hearing those dogs barking, I'm sorry, it appears to have stopped now. Anyway, what was I about to say? Oh yeah. There's a history professor at, uh, Mato Grasso's federal university. Uh, his name is uh, Candido Rodriguez. And, of course, this guy, being a history professor, has poured scorn on this theory about him living as a man named Lipsig with a black woman named Katinga hunting for buried Jewish treasure provided to him with, by the with You know, hunting with maps provided to him by the Vatican. Um, this is what he says. There's nothing new in people who claim to be historians coming up with the most far-reaching theories about Hitler supposedly living in South America and subsequently dying in one of the countries in this region. Now, South America is not the only destination Hitler's alleged to escape to. Previously, it's been alleged that Hitler left Germany for Antarctica, And some claim he fled the planet altogether and lived on the moon after the war on a secret Nazi space base. That's another one of those far-out theories. Um, Hell, I guess if you can believe that um, the Nazis built a secret base in the Antarctic, why can't you believe that they had a secret base on the moon, right? I don't know. Well, in 2011 there was a book called Grey Wolf, The Escape of Adolf Hitler. And the authors of this book argued that Hitler lived in Patagonia, Argentina, and had two children with his mistress Eva Braun before dying in 1962 at the age of 73. So there's a fourth theory for you. The authors of the book which has been made into a documentary film, claim that there's overwhelming evidence to suggest that the couple escaped at the end of the Second World War for a new life in a Nazi-controlled enclave in fascist Argentina. Now, they do have a website, I believe it's greywolf.com or something like that, that I have, I have been to this website uh, doing research for this episode. I have not seen the documentary However, it's on my to-do list, and hopefully I will see it soon. Um, the, The book focuses on the crucial days in 1945 as the Allies closed in on Hitler's bunker. Now, I've just read excerpts from the book. I haven't read the whole book. Um, the the guys that wrote it, Williams and Dunstan, claimed that a body double took Hitler's place and an actress stood in for Ava Braun on April 27th. It was at this point that the pair were able to flee Berlin, traveling to Tonder in Denmark before returning to uh, Tabamund in Germany. From there, it said that they flew to a Spanish military base uh, somewhere south of Barcelona before some general named Franco supplied a plane to take them to uh, uh, the Canary Islands. And then a day later, the two fugitives are said to have boarded a U-boat And the two body doubles were executed and their bodies subsequently burned. I don't know why they were doing all this bouncing, traveling back and forth. Unless it was something to try to throw off the trail. You know, I don't know. The book points to more of these declassified FBI documents that I've been talking about all night. Um which contain references to Hitler having escaped Berlin to begin a new life in South America. And it also includes testimony from the pilot who supposedly flew Hitler and Eva Braun out of Berlin to mardo uh, Mar del Plata on the Argentinian coast. Here is where they say he lived in a wooden chalet in a remote village where they survived, meaning, they meaning he and Eva Braun, where they survived on the money from looted gold and jewelry. The book quotes a number of sources sources such as cooks and doctors who claim to have known the Nazi leader before he died at age 73, uh, specifically on February the 13th, 1962. They claim that Hitler's bloodline survived through two daughters that he had with Eva Braun. Interestingly, the chalet called Residencia in Alco is now for sale after going through a few owners, starting with Enrique Garcia Moreau, a Buenos Aires lawyer linked to several German-owned companies that allegedly collaborated in the escape to Argentina of high Nazi party members and SS officials. He bought the lot from architect Alejandro Bustillo, who created these original plans of the house in March of 1943. Bustillo also built other houses for Nazi fugitives who were later apprehended. Um, The terrain in which the house was erected um, is near a little town called Villa Le Le, uh, Agonstura. It was... At the time it was built, was supposedly in a in a really remote location, and it was hardly ex- able to be. It was hardly accessible. Uh, the plans are similar to the architecture of Hitler's refuge in the Alps, with bedrooms connected by bathrooms and walk-in closets, and a tea house located by a small farm. Um, the Inalco House, like his. Berghoff house could only have been observed from the lake. A forest on the back limited the view from land, and it even had Swiss cows imported by Moreau from Europe. Later, Moreau sold the house to uh, Jorge Antonio, who was connected to the uh, President Perón and and was the German representative of Mercedes-Benz in the South American country, so we're having all of these Argentinians who are owning this property who are somehow, some way, have something to do with Germany. It's very interesting, isn't it? Now, according to the book, Hitler was already dead after leaving behind two daughters by the time the house was sold to uh, Jose Rafael Tarazo in 1970. Strangely enough, Terrazzo also brought other properties owned by someone called Juan Mahler. Mahler was the fake name of Reinhard Kops, who was an SS official and war criminal. Kops was connected to Eric Pribke, a former uh, hapstronfuhrer in the Waffen SS, who participated in the massacre of the uh, Artadon Caves in Rome, where 335 Italian civilians were executed after a partisan attack against SS forces. Pripke was a respected member of high society in the area. He was the director of a school called Primo uh, Caporano. Um, the son... Of Caporano sold the inalco house to uh um to Bastillo, and the Trazzo family is now selling the house and the and the original plans have now been published along with the Hitler legend, which was recently resuscitated by Grey Wolf, perhaps in an effort to increase the interest on the property. The complex was completely autonomous with its own animals and agricultural areas, the cows that were imported, and it also had a ramp that led into the lake with a boathouse that was rumored to contain a hydroplane. Now, I have actually seen pictures of this house on the internet, and it is a very impressive structure. Whether or not it was Hitler's retreat I do not know. However, it's a possibility, it's a distinct possibility that um, this might have actually been where Hitler um, fled off to at the end of the war, if he in fact did survive. So in conclusion here, With all of the newfound evidence coming to light, it is possible and even likely that not only could Hitler have escaped from Germany, but that he had the help of the international intelligence community. Released FBI documents prove that they were not only aware of Hitler's presence in Argentina, they were also helping to cover it up. It wouldn't be the first time that the OSS helped a high-ranking Nazi official to escape punishment and capture. Look at the story of Adolf Eichmann, who was located in Argentina in the late 1960s. Now, as I've said before, I have seen these FBI documents, thanks to the Freedom of Information Act, well over 200 pages worth of material to read. Now I did not read all 200 and something pages of this. Some pages I read, some pages I skimmed over, but I can tell you that I looked at every single page on this document while I was preparing uh, for this episode of Perialti Radio here. And it's very impressive. And if you were to just not do anything except look at at those documents, you would have to say that just based on those alone, that there certainly is enough evidence, at least the FBI thought so at the time, to suggest that Hitler... lived so we, the jury is still out but we, you know, we really don't know so the answer the, the question remains did Hitler escape to Argentina well the answer is maybe and it is time for me to take a break I am going to rest my voice for a few minutes. I'm going to let you listen to a little bit of music. I'm going to come back and I'm going to count down my top ten conspiracy theories concerning Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich. And then after that, I'll do the paranormal review so uh take a break listen to some music and i will be back with you again in a few minutes
0: This is Reality Radio,
2: your information source for all things paranormal. Join your host Sandman and his roster of special guests, experts, and experiencers
1: as they explore the realms of the known and the unknown. New shows broadcast the first Monday of every month at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Listen online at parareality.com. Turn on, tune in, and find out. Alright, that was Zach Wild and Black Label Society with I've Gone Away. It's off of their latest CD, Catacombs of the Black Vatican. You know, I always try to pick some sort of music that I think is has some sort of relevant meaning to the topic that I'm talking about in some way, shape, form, or fashion. So I thought, You know, why not? I've gone away. Hitler went away, right? Or supposedly we thought he did. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch. Probably (laughs) is. Oh, well, anyway, you know, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you know that I am a a huge Black Label Society fan. Uh, So I always seem to have a lot of Black Label Society music playing here on Reality Radio. Sorry for the little extra noise there, trying to get a cord out of the way. All right, so without any further delay, let me count down my top ten conspiracy theories concerning the Nazis and Adolf Hitler. We're going to go in reverse order, counting down from ten, winding up with number one. And... Number 10, starting it off, Nazi gold buried in Auckland Island. Now, this is one of several theories out there of secret Nazi gold that has appeared to come out of absolutely nowhere. The story of a Nazi U-boat burying Nazi gold in the tiny, uninhabited Auckland Island, which lies just a few hundred miles off the coast of New Zealand, is something that has popped up in recent years. Now, despite there being no evidence of this event ever happening, people still make the long journey to the island in vain attempts to find this Nazi gold. I don't know when or where or why this theory Came about. As far as I know, there's never been any documented case of the Nazi party being around Auckland Island, but you never know. But despite that, regardless, that's theory number 10, which leads us right into theory number 9 concerning more gold. This is Nazi gold buried in Lake Toplitz. Now, there are many. Different myths and rumors as to the whereabouts of millions and, dare I say, possibly billions with a B, billions of pounds of Nazi gold. One that appears to do the rounds more than the others, though, is the suggestion that vast quantities of Nazi gold are buried in Lake Toplitz. That's high up in the Austrian Alps, around 60 miles or so from Salzburg, in the, uh, in the western part of Austria. Now, it's also been reported that after the war, former SS members employed divers to try to locate the gold, as well as a number of sealed tubes that were said to contain the details of secret Nazi bank accounts in Switzerland. Now, it doesn't seem really, if you think about it, to be that far of a stretch when you're talking about Nazi gold buried in Austria somewhere, because Hitler was originally Austrian. He was born in Austria. Okay, He was not German by birth. So it kind of makes sense that maybe he would take some of his treasures, i.e. gold, and bury it somewhere in his home country of Austria. However, there's absolutely no evidence of this at all. The rumors have become so persistent that it's now illegal for divers to attempt to search for the hidden treasure themselves. So, apparently, this is a very popular theory, although I don't know why. The only thing I can think of is because Hitler, like I said, was originally Austrian, so... Maybe maybe that's it. I really do not know. Um, okay, so enough of that. We're going to move on to uh, the number eight theory, which is Hitler was an avatar of the Hindu god Vishnu. Now, this is speaking of things that are far-fetched. This is yet another myth that connects the Nazis to the occult, and this one comes from the 1978 book called The Golden Band. This was written by a dude named Miguel Serrano, and he makes the claim that Hitler is in fact an avatar of the Hindu god Vishnu and came to Earth to establish an ultimate Aryan race. The Golden Band also alleged that Hitler was using New Swabia, the German-claimed portion of Antarctica, to communicate with the Hyperboreans, those ethereal beings who he claimed were the ancestors of the Aryan race. Now, this rumor also links nicely to some previous myths, as the author, um, Miguel Serrano, he then goes on to to claim that the Nazis used their communications to develop a fleet of UFOs which Hitler would have one day used to give him ultimate power. Now it seems like any time that you want to talk about um, the Nazis and Antarctica in the same sentence, you have to talk about UFOs. There is strong evidence to suggest, thanks to Operation High Jump, that there might have been some sort of UFO or or Nazi super secret flying machine battle, or something like that, that happened in Antarctica. Now, we know that the Nazis actually did make pilgrimages to uh, Antarctica. We know they actually did claim um, a portion of Antarctica and they did call it New Swabia. Um, and there's strong evidence to. Um, uh, suggests that it, at least Himmler was looking into the possibility of this Hyperborean civilization, this hyper, Hyperborean race. So, you know, you you that kind of ties like two or three things all into one little bit theory. But like I said, you can't talk about Nazis and Antarctica without mentioning the UFO thing. It's just not apparently... It's just not possible. And speaking of the Nazi UFO base, that leads right into theory number seven, which is Hitler had a base in the Antarctic. Now, I just did a show on this last episode about the secret Nazi Antarctic base. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time rehashing that. After all, it was a two-hour-long show, right? But I'm not going to spend a a whole lot of time here um, rehashing... Ashing that, All I'm going to say is that according to a paper in the Polar Record and a few uh, other conspiracy theory websites here and there on the internet, the Nazis built a secret base in Antarctica in which they hid Hitler towards the end of the war and fought off British and U.S. planes using those flying saucers that I was just talking about just a second ago. The U.S. eventually destroyed the base with nuclear weapons. But various governments are striving to conceal this. Now, there are a few facts here and there to justify these claims. There was, was a German expedition to Antarctica in 1938 and 39. I just talked about that. There was classified British military activity in Antarctica during the war. And there was indeed a nuclear explosion in 1958 carried out by the United States Operation High Jump. Now, Operation Hijunt was meant to be a secret, but it got out. And there's no other proof to justify this suggestion of a secret Nazi base in Antarctica. But there, that seems to be quite enough to keep this conspiracy theory uh, alive and well in the minds of most people. All right. Theory number six. The Nazis tried to turn sand into gold. Now here we have another theory about Nazi gold. It seems to be, Nazi gold seems to be something that's uh, very big with all these conspiracy theorists when it comes to Hitler and World War II and the Nazis. They're just, for whatever reason, everybody thinks all these conspiracy theorists think that there are that there's you know, tons and tons of Nazi gold just buried in places all over the planet just in case they needed it or something. I don't know. But this one falls under to the section uh, of the rumor mill that's actually a little bit believable, believe it or not. Uh, there's a dude named Karl Malchus who was a self-taught alchemist, and he convinced Heinrich Himmler that he was able to make gold stones... Uh, from or that or he was able to make gold nuggets from stones and sand and stuff like that. Now this is all according to a man named Helmut Werner. He was author of the book called Hitler's alchemists, the secret attempts to manufacture gold and Dachau. And Werner said, of course it was all a huge swindle. After a short while, Heinrich Himmler stopped attempting to produce gold like this, and Karl Malchus was actually incarcerated in Dachau. And after uh, he was eventually released, he was told that if he attempted to tell anyone about this alchemy con he was trying to pull off, that he'd be killed. Now, I can't believe, number one, that Malchus actually was. Let to live, I'm surprised they didn't just himmler especially didn't just kill him outright. number two, since they did imprison him in Dachau, I'm actually surprised that he made it out of that camp alive. I don't know why himmler or anyone else in the Nazi party, especially himmler, would have um let this man go, especially after he made apparently a laughing stock out of uh, Himmler. Now, if you know anything about World War Two and you know anything about Heinrich Himmler, you will know that this little theory here is kind of a little bit believable because of Himmler's obsession with the occult. Um, he was very much into um occult symbology and mythology uh anything occultish if that's a word um his attempts to rewrite nazi history and create a aryan culture that was three quarters fabricated uh was was i mean this was he went to a lot of of links to do all of this um Heinrich Himmler started out as a chicken farmer, I believe, Um, and he actually was one of the people who fell under Hitler's spell, and he joined the Nazi party and um, basically rose his way up through the ranks over the years to promotion after promotion after promotion he eventually um was promoted to the uh chief of police of berlin i believe it was and then uh was promoted to chief of police of germany like the whole country of germany and uh that gave him uh control over the ss the stormtroopers uh he designed the ss uniforms the black uniforms with the uh the double lightning bolt that stood for SS and uh, the death's head badge that the uh, they wore on their uh their hats that he that was kind of a bastardization from another uh german um, um I'm not going to say metal but it was like a, a symbol uh, it was to be worn with with pride believe it or not um and he literally not overnight, but he literally, within just a few short years, became Hitler's right hand man. He was, you, pretty even though he wasn't the um, associate Führer or whatever the heck the official title was, he was literally like you know Hitler's right hand man. Pretty much, he ruled. Um, there's my creepy clock. He ruled um, basically um, right there beside Hitler. I mean, he was. He, people think that you know Hitler was really evil, and, and and he was, but the 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 truly evil person in the Nazi Party was Heinrich Himmler. He was a ruthless, evil person who would just kill people or have people killed just because he could that's the kind of evil this guy was and he was really really into the occult and all this some symbolism and symbology and he designed these pagan type rituals for the ss Uh, he married ss officers to their their fiancés and had these weird um, wedding ceremonies uh he tried to replace a lot of the christian holidays with uh these pseudo pagan type holidays that he would kind of make up i mean if he he was he was very good at organization and and uh getting things done and hitler couldn't have had a better right-hand man really than heinrich himmler just like i said hitler was crazy himmler was evil and you put these two guys together and you have one evil, crazy, power, mad, power hungry entity that's just steamrolling over all of these people, you know, um, so I'm very surprised that, um, Malchus didn't, didn't die by order of Heinrich Himmler. Anyway, I kind of got off on a little... Uh, tangent there. Didn't mean to do that. That kind of probably, probably succeeded in boring you just a little bit. Sorry about that. All right. So we are getting halfway there. And the number five Nazi conspiracy theory is that the Nazis built a fully functioning UFO from alien technology. There's been a lot of science fiction books, comic books, and just plain old conspiracy theories that frequently claim that the Nazis built UFOs and currently survive in secret underground bases in places like Antarctica, South America, or even in the United States. Now, according to the reports, the Nazis destroyed all the paperwork connected with the secret machines, but suggest that they used the form of anti-gravity and were able to travel at 2,000 kilometers an hour with Hitler's main plan to launch a UFO attack on both London and New York. Um, the theory is further fueled by the claims of this guy named Igor Witowski, who wrote a book called uh, uh, Prada o Wunderwaffa that a bell-shaped craft was being created by the Nazis and that Hitler wanted the best scientists and engineers at his disposal. Now, the very first episode that I did in this three-part series about the Nazi paranormal connection was on Die Glocke, or the the bell, which was what Igor Watowski was talking about, this bell-shaped aircraft. Now, we don't really know what the bell was or exactly what it did. Uh, And as far as I know, there are no actual pictures of the bell. There are artist renditions of the bell, and they all look kind of pretty much the same. Um, But like I said, we don't really know what the bell did. Some think think that it was some sort of uh, flying UFO-like craft. Some people think that it was some sort of... uh, nuclear or fission type weapon and some people including myself think that if it did exist it was probably some sort of a time machine. Um, the reason that I think that goes to the Kecksburg connection in 1965 and where a bell-shaped aircraft crashed right outside of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania and the description of this UFO that crashed fits 99% with what the bell supposedly looked like. So I think it might have been some sort of time-traveling device. Now, there's also, speaking of, of alien technology and, and UFOs and everything, there's, there are also um, a select number of photographs and eyewitness accounts that apparently offer definitive proof that the Nazis were indeed building flying saucers during World War II. I haven't actually seen any of these photographs that I thought were authentic, you know, real, um, but they supposedly do exist. Um I think that the UFOs that they were building was actually a singular UFO and not a plural, and I believe it was Diglaca and they were trying to build some sort of time machine. They were onto something, and they just didn't actually perfect it before the end of the war. Could be wrong. Who knows? Okay, the number four conspiracy theory is that the Nazis had a secret moon base. Now, this is almost as popular as the myth that we Here in the United States, our government staged the moon landing in 1969. And a quick look through the more, I guess, the stranger side of the Internet will also tell you that not only did the Nazis uh, have a a moon base on the dark side of the moon, but they were up there as early as 1942. If you believe everything you read on the Internet, then the Nazi party undoubtedly utilized larger exo-atmospheric rocket saucers to land on the moon and even offered this base to the Americans and the Russians when they secretly joint-landed on the moon in the 1950s. Now, this has led to even more suggestions, even more theories that the Nazis have been controlling our tides here on the planet since uh, the 1950s. And that high-powered Nazi lasers can also be be deployed to strike land-based targets. Now, interestingly enough, there is a movie that was done, I believe it it was 2012 or 2013, called Iron Sky, that kind of plays on the idea that the Nazis have a secret moon base and are set to return here to the Earth in 2018. Now, I have not seen... This movie in its entirety, I've seen about half of it, and it's kind of, you know, a comedic spoof, as you would would expect, but it's actually quite well put together. It's a really good movie. It's on Netflix. It's called Iron Sky. I really need to finish watching it. Um, if you have the opportunity to check it out, if you have Netflix, you really need to check it out, because it's really a well-done movie now i do not for one second believe that the nazis have ever had a secret moon base or ever went to the moon and they're certainly not controlling our tides with high-powered lasers um it's it's kind of stupid to think that if they had that kind of technology that they wouldn't have used it on people who they perceive to be their enemies already Uh, you would think that they would have uh struck sooner instead of sitting around waiting especially for 2018 but that's a, that's a movie thing all right now we are down to the top 3 conspiracy theories of the third reich and adolf hitler so counting down the top 3 number 3 hitler was possessed by the devil Now, this theory comes straight from the Vatican Church. Now, there are claims that uh, the, I guess you could say he wasn't fired, but he was released. The released wartime pontiff, Pope Pius XII, attempted a long-distance exorcism of Hitler, which, of course, failed to have any effect. Um the man who, at one time, I don't know if he still is, but at one time, uh, Father Gabriel Morth was the Vatican's chief exorcist, and he made some comments during an interview with Vatican Radio back in two thousand six about Hitler being possessed by the devil, and Pope Pius the twelfth doing this exorcism, and uh, Father Morth also claimed that Stalin was also possessed by the devil and here is a quote from him this is what he says i am convinced that the nazis were all possessed all you have to do is think about what hitler and stalin did almost certainly they were possessed by the devil you can tell by their behavior and their actions from the horrors they committed and the atrocities that were committed on their orders that's why we need to defend society from demons. I have no doubt that Hitler was possessed, and so it does not surprise me that Pope Pius XII tried a long distance exorcism. Now, Father Morth has also spoken out against the Harry Potter series of books and says that the, the novels open children's mind to a world of black magic and the occult. So, this guy's kind of a little out there with some of his theories and everything as well. Um you always are going to have people who believe that Hitler was possessed by the devil. Now, if you're going to say this, number 1, if you believe in the devil, you have to believe in God and Jesus Christ. I'm not going to turn this into a religious debate. I'm not going to turn this into a religious episode here. Um I'm not so sure that there is such a thing as God or Satan. Um, however, one thing that I am thoroughly one hundred convinced of that I know for sure exists is evil. Evil does exist. Heinrich Himmler was pure evil, no doubt about it Hitler not going to say that he wasn't pure evil i'm just saying he wasn't as evil as himmler was hitler had um some mental problems for sure um he had a family history of mental illness um and this has nothing to do with being possessed by the devil, but I'm just, you know, throwing this out there. Um, Heinrich Himmler actually commissioned a secret um, investigation into the background of the Fuhrer, believe it or not. Now, I don't know if he ever um, let the Fuhrer know what his um, findings were or if he was indeed even doing this, but uh, some of Hitler's political enemies were, uh, saying that Hitler was not born in Germany, that he was Austrian, which we know he was. Uh, so Himmler, uh, got some, some, some of his stoolies together and said, Hey, find out if this is true. Well, they did some looking into Hitler's background and found out that yes, he was from a small village in Austria and yes, there was mental illness in his family and not only that, but that his mother and his father were related. As a matter of fact, they were so closely related that the official at the church where they wanted to get married refused to marry them. Now, remember, they come from a small town in Austria, okay? It wasn't uncommon for distant relatives to marry each other, but Adolf, Hitler's mother and father, were so closely related that the the official at the church didn't feel comfortable in performing the ceremony. So the uh, Vatican actually had to get involved and had to uh, grant Hitler's parents special permission to become married. Now, we all know that um, incest if it produces children it can't there can eventually be some problems i'm not just talking about birth defects like people with eight toes and you know f- three fingers and stuff like that uh not not like something that you see on the hills have eyes you know um but it can cause some it can cause some some physical deformities most most assuredly but it can also cause some mental stuff now was that the reason why hitler was so messed up um It's a possibility, you know, people who have mental illness. Now, the, the mental illness that was in his family, schizophrenia. Okay, so people who have mental illness, especially schizophrenia, if you don't know what you're dealing with, especially, you know, way back then, before we knew as much about it as we do now, you can you can clearly see how one can think, oh, well, he must be possessed by the devil. So maybe that was it. I don't know. But Hitler did have a history of the mental illness in his family. So who knows? Maybe that's why they think he was possessed. All right, moving on to number two. Hitler had only one testicle with the other residing in the Albert Hall. Now, this is probably the most famous of all myths about the Nazi leader. And as a matter of fact, it even has its own theme song to accompany it, that still gets sung by school kids today. As recently as 2008, there were still claims that proved this theory to be correct. It reports that Hitler may have lost a testicle uh, back in 1916 when he was in World War I. Uh, this is according to a German army medic who saved Hitler's life during the First World War. While many are certainly going to hope for this persistent rumor to be true, there are also no actual records to suggest this. Hitler's physician, Dr. Theodore Morell, who would have known every inch of the Fuhrer's body, certainly made no mention of it, and nor do any subsequent medical records. Now, of course, Hitler could. Um, make things go away. He made all of his tax records go away. Um, So certainly he can make something like he only has one nut to disappear. So it's not a stretch to think that this could have actually been true and that he just uh, did not let his doctor or nor any other doctor uh, make any type of record of this, or if there were records of it, they were destroyed. So that's a distinct possibility. All right. That leaves us with one and only one, my top theory, my number one theory concerning Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich is that Hitler died in Argentina, which is what this episode of Parareality Radio was about. So once again, I'm not going to rehash everything that I just spent this whole episode talking about, but this is probably the latest theory to be circulating around, you know, we just talked about it. Hitler did not commit suicide in Berlin in 1945, but actually ended his days in Argentina. Now, according to British journalists Gerard Williams and Simon Dunstan, in their book, Grey Wolf The Escape of Adolf Hitler, they claim to have discovered an overwhelming amount of evidence to suggest that Hitler died an old man in South America. The book, Claims that Hitler lived in Argentina for 17 years and could have raised two daughters before he died in 1962. of course they also say that the, uh, skull fragments, which were, uh, the Russians previously had said, these are Hitler's. They have now proven that, uh, those skull fragments were not Hitler's, um, that they were actually that of a young woman in her forties. And, uh, not that of the Führers. So those are my top ten conspiracy theories concerning Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich. Do you want to get in touch with the show? Got a comment about tonight's episode? Maybe you've got an idea for a topic for a future episode. Email me, sandman at parareality.com. Leave a message on the studio line at 615-692-1170. Listen to new episodes of Parareality Radio the first Monday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time, online at parareality.com. Turn on, tune in, and find out. It is time to wind things down with the Paranormal Review. This month's review is Hangar 1, The UFO Files. Okay, so the plot for Hangar 1. This is another one of those interview and reenactment type of TV shows that interviews UFO experts from MUFON, the mutual UFO network, about certain cases from their case files and these things are augmented by actor reenactments of these these stories. And sometimes the MUFON experts being interviewed are the ones who actually worked on the case. Now this thing stars; it uh, has a, a few regulars in it: uh, Jason McClellan, who's a UFO researcher; Nick Petkov, Jeremy Ray, and John uh, Venture. Um, John Venture is big time. Uh, MUFON, I think he's one of the state directors, so it's got several MUFON um, people in it uh, as well as the um, uh, I guess the president or the head of MUFON, he makes occasional appearances in there Um, so here is my review of this television series now this series though a bit over dramatized are files from the Mutual UFO Network, otherwise known as MUFON, which is a legitimate organization. These files are brought forth for exploration and critical thinking. The information brought forward, such as particular events, are fact and not conjecture, and they're backed up from key witnesses that have come forward. What I'm surprised with about this show. Is this. Why haven't they brought Dr. Stephen Greer. Into the mix with his hundreds of. Top secret military government witnesses. That have already come forward. With their stories. Another point. That's a negative in my opinion. Is. In one episode. They kind of painted the aliens. Or the ETs in an aggressive manner. Um And they didn't really tell the whole story like they had some sort of a selective agenda going on, which is disappointing for MUFON because it's a respected organization. Now, they may have had their hands tied by the History Channel for the propaganda effect, uh, maybe just a little bit more sensationalism, or maybe they did have some sort of agenda that they wanted to project with this sort of of storytelling. Who knows, really? You're not going to know. Um, In a sense, this is nothing new on this show. Given the success of such cable TV shows like Ancient Aliens, Hangar 1 probably will be a commercial success. It gives the viewers what they want. Exciting stories about alien encounters that sound credible because they're presented in an extremely biased manner. And it probably will be successful in bringing new members to MUFON, Who will demand more ufological red meat as it was, lest their attention wander? What's really interesting is that the people who seem to be the most upset about the absurdities of Hangar 1 are not skeptics who expect pro-UFO organizations to act irresponsibly, but instead It's the group that I call the open-minded skeptics, such as myself, those who believe that some UFO incidents might represent genuine mysteries beyond science, but who recognize that the great bulk of ufology consists of error, exaggeration, and misidentification. I just so happen to fall into that category of the open-minded skeptics, and the open-minded skeptics open-minded skeptic is just as ready to denounce crap as is any skeptic. After all, the only way to convince science that the UFO phenomenon is worth studying would be to toss aside all of the accumulated junk and accentuate the, the hopefully solid cases. While MUFON is trying very hard to do this. They aren't winning any battles here by taking a biased approach to their show. In a very real sense, the open-minded skeptics, along with the regular skeptics, are allies who can be characterized as realists, those who care very much about what the facts are about UFO cases and try to stick to the facts as best as possible, as opposed to these unrealists who are ready to embrace any absurd UFO tale if it's, you know, exciting and ignore all facts to the contrary. While I think that Hangar One the UFO files is a good show, it's not a great show. MUFON's approach to each and every case that it presents come from the it's a UFO angle. In other words, they're being somewhat biased and taking the approach of presenting Only the information that points to whatever phenomena they're investigating being a UFO. Now, they do make some interesting points, and I do like their approach to investigating, though it probably could be a little bit more scientific. It's still pretty sound. However, I think that they would do themselves much better by throwing a case in every so often that turned out to not be a UFO, I think that would shut up some of the critics and go a long way towards legitimizing Hangar 1. Now, when I first saw the advertisements on the History Channel, specifically H2, that's the channel that that uh, uh, Hangar 1 airs on, when I first saw the advertisements for it, I thought, oh great, there's another MUFON freaking UFO show. You know, over the years they've done two or three shows uh trying to get um something kicked up and off the ground for for them to have some sort of reality series and it's just never really manifested itself into anything solid and concrete um i've never been really all that interested in ufo's and aliens up until um the last several years of my life um, I am an ancient alien theorist, but uh I've not been um the kind of uh modern day u f o enthusiast I guess is a good word i in other words I don't believe that that aliens are coming here by the droves you know to uh, kidnap us in our sleep and you know probe our anuses. I just don't think that's happening as often as what people think it is. And there goes my creepy clock chiming the midnight hour in the background. I can never do a show without my creepy clock chiming in the background, can I? So anyway, I was kind of like, oh God, here's another MUFON freaking show. But I I I watched it, I gave it the benefit of the doubt. First episode with eh, it wasn't all that great, it was okay. Second episode, okay. This is not bad. Third episode it's growing on me. I like the way that they present it. I like the way um, it's, it's shot and put together. So I think that if they kind of polish themselves a little bit more and they start showing some um, cases just every so often, that turn out to not be a UFO, something they can debunk, I think that's going to go a long way towards legitimizing Hangar 1. So for right now, I'm going to score this thing a 3 out of 5. So that's actually not bad, considering I am kind of on the fence about whether I really, really like this show or not. So 3 out of 5 for Hangar 1, The UFO Files. Okay, so it is time for me to wind down the show and close things down. I got uh, about eight minutes left and I wanted to uh, just kind of address something. I wanted to do this last episode and I just ran out of time. So I wanted to address something that's very near and dear to my heart and make a plea to all of you people who just so happen to listen to Parareality Radio. Um, A dear friend of mine... Back in my hometown in Alabama, and that's where I'm from, Southeast Alabama. I got a dear friend in my hometown who is the owner of a comic book store, and the name of the, the the store is called Empire Comics. Now, his store is the only place in the local community to sell comics, comic supplies, gaming supplies, and just about anything else that's geek related and geek culture. Uh, he's been in business for, I think, about 10 years. And like everybody else, he's been hit hard by the economy. His store's in desperate need of some major repairs. And in fact, he, it's, it's in danger of, clo- of closing down if he can't raise enough money to take care of these things. Um, One of his local customers, a guy by the name of Russell Sellers, has started a GoFundMe campaign to help raise money for the store. So, in an effort to help, I've offered a prize package for the campaign. For a $75 donation, you can either be a guest here on Parareality Radio and tell about your paranormal experience, or you can actually co-host with me an upcoming episode. Um... Maybe you don't have a a paranormal experience of your own that you've had that you want to talk about, but maybe you're really into the paranormal and uh, you'd like to help co-host the show. Maybe, heck, maybe you just think it'll be a, you know, a fun idea, something fun to do, or um, maybe, I don't know, maybe you just always wanted to be on radio or something. I don't know. Um, Either way. There's one prize package, and it's $75. And I know that that seems like kind of a steep amount of money, but you know, I want to try to do my part to help my friend out. So for one package of a $75 donation there, you can either be a guest on Parareality Radio or co-host an upcoming episode. So remember, there's only one of these packages available. Make sure you get it while you can if that's something that you're interested in or want to do. There are also other packages that are not related to reality that you can purchase, or you can just make a donation if if you want. But please help me help my friend to not lose his business. Help me and all the other people out there help him to stay around for the community. Now, to find out more about the campaign... Or to buy the Parareality package, make a different purchase, or just make a donation, please go to my website, parareality.com, and there on the homepage, you will see the Save Empire Comics campaign. There is a link to click on to be taken to the GoFundMe website. Now, you don't have to bid on my package. You can just make a donation if you'd like, or you can bid on some other package. But please help me help my friend and donate anything that you can, even if it's just $5, and help me save Empire Comics so he can continue to earn a living and serve the geek community in my hometown back in Alabama. Whatever you can do, I would really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much for helping me help my friend. All right, everybody, it is time. Going to wind it down. I hope that you enjoyed tonight's show. Let me know what you thought about it by sending an email to sandman at parareality.com. Also, make sure you go to the website, click on the GoFundMe campaign, and help my friend, if you can, Uh, while you're there. On Parareality.com, you can find out all kinds of information about the show. You can listen to current and past episodes. And if you click on the Extras tab at the top of the page, you can join the official Parareality Radio forum. It's free. You can shop in the Parareality Radio store and even watch some videos and other stuff. Also, don't forget to look me up on Facebook. My Facebook page is Sandman.com. Parareality. You can hear the show there as well, and you can also find out more about what's going on in the world of Parareality. My next show is going to be available on Monday, September the 1st, 2014. Going to have a very special guest, Mr. Tony Pratt, friend of the show. Had him on for a few times. I think he's uh, probably made more appearances on Parareality Radio than anyone else. We're going to be talking about the Bigfoot UFO Connection. And that's going to be available on Monday, September the 1st, 2014 at 8 o'clock Central Time. Special guest Tony Pratt talking about the Bigfoot UFO Connection. So make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. Everyone, I hope that this radio program opens up your mind to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, You must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope that you've had a wonderful evening, and I will see you again next month. Good night, everybody.